Welcome to Breaking the Surface, where we break into a delicious beverage and also dive into the topic at hand. I'm one of your co-hosts, Taylor Kramer. I'm the owner and lead producer for Cold Shower Media. I'm Beth Milligan. I'm a journalist here in Traverse City. And I'm another friend. I am Anthony Weber, and I am a pastor and an ethics teacher, and I am something of a fashion icon when it comes to oversized sweaters. The point here is that we want to go beyond the talking points to get to the depths of what is happening in our world. It should also be said that this podcast is part of the Boardman Review Podcast Collective in collaboration with Cold Chart Media. The Podcast Collective aims to provide unique content curated by the Boardman Review, the creative culture and outdoor lifestyle journal of Northern Michigan. So today on the show, we are drinking a Locals Lemonade Kombucha from Cultured uh, Kombucha Tea, which is actually based here in Traverse City. Uh, I love their kombucha. They sell at the farmer's market. They actually have a tap room now in Traverse City. It's available at local stores. Um, It's described, uh, it has Traverse City tart cherries and lemon brewed into a summer treat. And as Anthony noted on the back, it says, damn good kombucha. (laughs) I thought Anthony was saying that to me early and I was like, oh, you're very excited about this kombucha, but that's like literally their slogan. So uh, yeah, I find it pretty refreshing. I'm curious what you guys think. Yeah, I really like kombucha in general. Anthony and I were talking how we've actually brewed some of our own. None of the stuff I made was nearly as good. And I I know the owner uh, relatively well too, Courtney. And um, it's just, it's great stuff. I'm glad we have it locally. Yeah, it's a great mix of the cherry and the lemonade flavor. Neither one's too strong. It's quite delightful. So thank you to Cultured Kombucha Tea. Welcome to season two, episode seven of Breaking the Surface. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about the slap heard around the world, the (laughs) Will Smith, Chris Rock controversy from the Oscars. We're recording this. Um, just a few days really after the Oscars took place um, this week. Uh, already this week, there's just been an enormous amount of publicity and hot takes and think pieces. And um, there, the story is still unfolding because there's, and maybe it's, we should just pause here for a minute and see it. Most people were going to know about what happened. But basically, Chris Rock was a presenter at the Oscars. He made a joke about Jada Pinkett Smith, her her bald head, and said, see you in G.I. Jane 2. Um, and then Will Smith, who was sitting next to Jada, came up on stage and slapped uh, Chris Rock pretty hard and used some ex- expletives to basically say, don't talk about my wife, like keep your wife's name out of my mouth. So I was watching this live um, and I watched the Oscars every year since I was young. Um, I really like movies in Hollywood and the ceremony, and I have never seen anything like that at the Oscars before. And there was this long period of time where I think people watching the show, we were like trying to figure out like, is this a bit? Is this stage? Mm-hmm. Like what is happening? Um, it became clear pretty quickly that it was not staged. Um, and there have been, again, a, just a lot of controversy since then. Um, at this point in the story, uh, Will Smith has issued an apology this week. Chris Rock has not. There was a fake apology going around that was attributed to him, but he has not said anything except for he did have a comedy show this week. And at the beginning just said, I will say something about this at some point. It's probably going to be funny and serious. I'm not ready to talk about it yet. So he hasn't said anything. Um, and that's really where it's left off, except for Will Smith is under investigation by the Academy. Um, they said that they had actually asked him to leave the ceremony after that slap happened and he refused. 
whether or not they should have made him leave is perhaps another question. But he's under investigation and potentially could be um, suspended or even uh, kicked out of the academy. Um, So that's kind of the basics of it. But there's a lot going on here. And I had posted about it. I I always live tweet the Oscars. And I was sort of blown away by the wide variety of Mm -hmm. responses to this, whether people thought Chris Rock was in the wrong, whether Will Smith was in the wrong, how they felt about violence being appropriate or not as a response to a joke, what this means for comedy. There was just what it means for gender, defending women, illness, ableism. I mean, there are so many intersections that this incident brought up. It has just spurred a lot of conversation. Um, And so I thought it'd be a great one to talk about. There's a lot to dig into beyond just two celebrities getting into beef. So I thought maybe to start, I just wanted to kind of get your, both of your general reaction. I don't know if you actually watched it that night or just saw clips later, but I'm curious what you've been kind of thinking about it. Yeah. I I caught the clips afterwards and always like to go and and get the recap from your Twitter feed and your Facebook (laughs) feed uh, of the Oscars and, and different award shows like that. And I think I had mentioned this to you, both of you in our chat is that when I first saw it and it's little snippet form, maybe two minutes or so of the, of the interaction. Um, I found it just kind of amusing. I was like, well, here's, you know, two people that I can't necessarily relate to all that much. They're very famous people, um, at this award show. And I just thought it was kind of funny and that it would probably be swept under the rug. And then the more I was realizing and and looking into it, I was like, oh, this is a really, really big deal, not just because of this singular incident that happened, but because it seems to be indicative of maybe so many other things in our culture or bringing up a lot of questions. Like people are now asking themselves some questions that maybe they weren't asking themselves before. And I think that's um, if and when is violence okay um, outside of the maybe more accepted realms where it is in terms of clear cases of self-defense or uh, things like war. Um, this is really falls into that super, super gray area where you have a lot of people who are like, Oh, is it okay that he slapped Chris rock over something verbal like that? Um, and some people say yes, absolutely. And then other people are saying no, no way. And then there's kind of people who are maybe saying, well, it's an inexcusable action, but it's kind of understandable of why he did it. So it's all across the spectrum. I'm still kind of bouncing from, you know, one to the other, I'm tending to, to, I think, lean much more heavily on the side of it, it was not um, appropriate, acceptable. And his impact could have, Will Smith's impact uh, in that moment could have been a lot greater had he not used physical force and maybe had responded verbally. I think he really could have came out um, ahead had he, he chose to respond differently. Yeah. What do you think, Anthony? Yeah. I didn't see it live. I saw the news the next day. And so then watched some clips of it and it, my first thought was it had to be a bit like, no way would this just happen in the Oscars. And then after watching it a couple of times, I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure you hit him for real. And that was super awkward. If it was a bit, it was poorly written. And I saw some speculation later about the possibility of it, that still being the case, but I don't think it was. I don't think either one of them is claiming it was right. No, 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 it definitely seems, especially because he could literally be kicked out of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They both seem to acknowledge it was a very serious thing that happened. It just makes no sense to me. Yeah. Like, okay. I get it that maybe he was offended, but I don't think it helps that there's all the footage of him initially laughing at the joke. Yeah. And then there was footage that came out today that it seems like she was fairly amused by some of the, the back and forth. Like she was laughing a bit in the midst of it. And there just seems to be contradictory things within the same 30 seconds of time. And I'm not quite sure what to do with it. I, 
I'm curious, Beth, how you are processing it. Yeah, I I pretty I came up pretty hard <laughs> the night that it happened um, on my thread, and this is why I was kind of shocked by all the different back and forth from different people. Um, that I it was not okay. I do not think that that is an acceptable response to a joke. Um, you know, and it's funny when I was explaining this on my thread, some people said, you know, but she so she has alopecia, so she has a, a disease, an autoimmune disease that causes your hair to fall out. Um, she apparently has talked about that on her show and she's been very open about that. And it's, you know, very painful for her as a woman. And she, you know, that's why she has lost her hair. So I don't know whether Chris Rock was aware of that or not. Um, if he was, I think when we've, we've done a podcast fairly recently that to me is punching down comedy. I don't, I, I think the joke was across the line and in poor taste. It, it, could, w- would we have accepted making fun of someone in a wheelchair or making fun of someone, you know, has a burn scarring or, you know, any kind of um, illness or disease, it does seem pretty ableistic to make fun of that. But again, I don't know if he was aware of that or not. Regardless, I don't think that even punching down comedy is a justification for violence. And we talked before about, for example, like Dave Chappelle um, and some of his problematic comedy about, for example, the trans community. I still don't think that it would be appropriate for someone to get up in a club and punch him in the face for a joke like that. Even though we talked about before in the podcast, I think that that kind of comedy is very dan- damaging and also potentially dangerous to trans people. However, I just don't think we can go through life <laughs> justifying that as a response to things. And even, you know, I had friends who said, oh, absolutely. That joke was over the line. He was defending his wife. If you think otherwise, you're being ableist. And it's like, I don't know, people who defended it. It's like if I came up to you in public and just smacked you across the face and was like, I, I felt offended by you. Right. Do we think that that's an acceptable way to go about society? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if, if that had unfolded in a restaurant. Right. That would most likely be something that the police would be pursuing. Right. And and potentially had the option to. I yeah. mean, I know the LAPD issued a statement saying that they had investigated and Chris Rock had declined to press charges, but it that is a form of assault. Yeah, I think that I was looking at kind of uh, what a slap means. And if there's these tiers between, you know, physical responses to certain things, I think a shove would be at the lower end of that. And then a slap would be in the middle and then a punch would be above that. And so as this is kind of the year of the slap following also Juwan Howard's altercation that he had with the Wisconsin coach, um, (laughs) it's, it's interesting when people choose to utilize a slap in some ways. And I think it's uh, a slap is a tool where it can get a point across in some way, but also not go so far as a punch to where it's like, oh, I'm really trying to possibly, you know, break a jaw here or something and inflict some major damage. And so I think it was, um, well, Will Smith definitely kind of responded out of, uh, I think instinct. Um, there was some calculation in it. I mean, he could have went up and just shoved him and kind of said like, don't talk about my wife like that. Or he could have went so far as to punch him. And then it would have, I think probably, um, Chris Rock may have had no choice, but to, to try to press charges on something like that. Um, so it's really interesting. His, his weapon of choice was the slap. Um, and, and how I just think a a verbal response could have gotten him so much further. And I think that, 
I'm glad that we're allowing this instance to kind of lead to the larger discussion of like discourse and people saying and having the freedom of speech. And then how are people responding? And and is the response um, going to be in proportion to what was said originally, or are you upping the ante a little bit? And so um, that's just kind of where I was at with this. I think it's indicative of a lot of other issues that we could see. I, okay. So I, yes, I agree with all that. I still think the slap is weird because mm-hmm. like Taylor, just, you and me talking dude to dude here. If I felt like we were somewhere and you offended my wife and I walked up to hit you, I would punch you. Right. <laughs> like I wouldn't slap you. I'd punch you. Um, and I was talking with a friend who used to do MMA fighting and he was talking about how he kind of has trained some people when it comes to just ordinary self-defense. What do you do if you feel like you're in a situation where you're going to need to get in the first punch to somebody and you're trying to figure out how to catch them by surprise? He said, slap them. It's the first thing to do. They're expecting you to punch. They're not expecting a slap and it's, it's insulting. It's, it's disconcerting. It's different than a punch. You don't deserve a punch. You deserve a slap. Right. It kind of sends that message. And in fact, if you go back historically and you'll often see this in older movies, when people slap their backhand and because you don't even deserve the dignity of my full force with a front handed slap. And so there's something about that that still unsettles me. Like what, what was going on inside? Did he, did he, was he thinking to punch him? And then the last minute he's like, okay, I might break his jaw and that would be a bad thing to do on TV. Right. I'll just slap. But it sure seemed like he prepared for it. He came from down low, got his whole body into it. Like that looked to be the plan. And I still don't understand that. So a lot of people since then, a lot of the hosts, uh, Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes, um, have talked about, and then the Academy itself put out a statement, all using the term traumatic. Like this was a traumatic event to have witnessed, which I have seen some people sort of make fun of or laugh at, like you weren't involved in the situation. Like you just witnessed it. Why is it traumatic? I also did find it to be triggering. And I think it's helpful to like, maybe just take a second and think about the context of people watching that and your own personal history with violence and how that kind of normalizes it on that huge of a stage in front of millions of people that this is like maybe someone who's as beloved as Will Smith, who just minutes later won an Oscar, (laughs) that that's okay, that that's a normal or acceptable response, especially because he was allowed to just continue being there and then go out and party. Life went on like nothing happened. Like it's all like, yeah, yeah, this is all good. And just to, I mean, my own experience is I grew up in a very pretty violent childhood. Um, I fought a lot. I was used to scrapping in school. I hit kids, kids hit me. I just was in neighborhoods where violence was pretty prevalent and common. And so I had that as a very normalized part of my experience. When I got to be an adult, I sort of kind of realized you can't (laughs) just, you know, fight someone in the workplace (laughs) or like get in a scrap in the bar without the potential of getting arrested. I had an incident. I remember in my 20s, I got into a, a fight with a roommate one night. We were both drinking and being silly and screaming at each other. And she said something offensive to me and I slapped her across the face. And I was so stunned in that moment. She was stunned. We were both stunned. And I went in my room and just sort of went away. And I was like, I can't believe that I did that as an adult. And I felt deeply ashamed of it. And it made me realize how normalized that was still inside of me, that it's okay because you feel offended or upset. There wasn't a physical threat. She hadn't shoved me or done anything to provoke a physical response. I just didn't like what she said. And I slapped her and I was like, I'm never going to do that again. And I need to probably work through some of why I thought that that was okay to do that. 
It's because I just grew up thinking that that was okay. And I grew up even sort of romanticizing men defending women. Like I was like, oh, it's kind of romantic or sexy when a guy will fight someone else in a bar or two guys are fighting over you. It's, I think that's a very toxic message, but I think it's been in the movies. Like you were saying, even old movies, just like guys brawling with each other. And if you do grow up in violence, you sort of internalize it and sort of accept it as normal. And if you try to heal from that and move away from it, and then you see it start to be normalized again, it can be very triggering. So like, I know when Amy Schumer said she was triggered, I happen to know, cause she's written a book about it, that she had been in a domestic violence situation. So you see that. And then the language that Will used when he got up in his speech talking about like, I want to be a channel of love. Mm -hmm. I just, I defended my family. Love will make you do crazy things. That is a language that domestic abusers Mm -hmm. use. That is not okay. (laughs) And I just, I felt so triggered by it for that reason. And I'm sure that's why maybe other people did too, is I think it's very, very dangerous to send a message that that is okay. Mm Yeah. It's like veiled messaging of some kind. It's like, I love you so much that I I'm allowed to just lose my head for a minute or two, uh, in defense of your honor. And I, I think that, um, what's fascinating to me is that we all come as individuals and that's why we have so many different takes on this is that each person comes with their life experience. You mentioned yours. And then in this case, Will and Jada have a very complicated history together. And I think that's also what made his response so awkward is we, we spoke to like the almost, it looked unnatural in the sense of like, Oh, he was laughing. And then he looked at Jada and she didn't have a great response to it. And so then he, he walked up, but she never said like, get him or like, (laughs) she didn't even look, um, that upset. I mean, from what I saw, she had rolled her eyes and kind of took her smile away. Um, so to me for that to just have all of a sudden prompted will to go up and, and assault Chris rock, there was some underlying stuff that was at play. And so I don't, I I don't know, uh, will in their relationship, but was he in some way feeling like he needed to compensate? Like we've had some issues in the past. I'm going to leave nothing to doubt here. I'm going to go up and, and defend her. And, um, I think that's, that's really interesting because it, it wasn't, um, it didn't seem to be like a natural response and certainly not one that we would have thought we'd seen from somebody like Will Smith, who's been so, so cool all the time, just very cool and very well-respected, um, and seems to do most things right. I don't pay much attention to talk shows, but my understanding is that he and Jada have been airing quite a bit of their laundry. And I don't think it's any secret that their marriage has been tumultuous at best yeah. <clears throat> and probably damaging to each other at worst. I tend to think if Will wants to fight for his wife you've or fight for your relationship or stand up for her, I think it starts at home. <laughs> like mm-hmm. be a better man. If, if you had convinced me that you had so dedicated yourself to honoring her and respecting her and treating her the way she deserves to be treated, then it, it might've made sense of some kind of trajectory, but my, it felt like, and this is just me describing how it feels to me, not that's what it was, but it felt like a shortcut to bypass the hard work of maturity and a restoration of broken things to go, Hey, I'll, I'll fight this guy for you. But the reality is they're going to go home the next day to the life that they had before. And if nothing changes from the kind of man that apparently he has been, it, it'll make this in hindsight look even worse. Yeah. And I think, you know, 
women had a, a very strong response to this. Um, I mean, everybody has been weighing in, but I, I think, you know, it was interesting to hear other women in my life weigh in on this because I mean, two things happened. One, this was an incident w- between two men, but the joke was about Jada and her response was not centered anywhere in the discussion. You know, it wasn't really like, how did she feel about it? Did she want Will to do that? It, I don't think there was enough time for Will to say like, do you want me to yeah. do something? It's just like- Rock, paper, scissors? <laughs> right. <laughs> it was so fast. And I think my sister Emily, you know, pointed out in this discussion too, is that it's, it for women it's triggering because it was unbridled anger. It wasn't, Mm. You know, it didn't seem premeditated. You're right that it was unnatural and that it felt a little performative or he had to be like, I got to stand up for my wife and do this on this stage. But it was fast. So he just decided in a split second to react violently out of anger. And that's uh, that's scary for a lot of women Mm. that a man can do that, even if it's purportedly on your behalf. I saw a really good thread on Twitter that was talking about like, it was like 10 ways that Will Smith could have stood up for Jada nonviolently. Clearly he's one of the biggest celebrities in the world. Just minutes later, he won best actor. He could have used that speech without the incident having happened to bring attention to it, to say, Hey, by the way, that joke sucked. And here's why, like, you know, bring attention to alopecia, bring attention to disease, um, stand up for your wife. He could have done it in a way where it was classy and he held his head high and then Chris would have looked like the villain. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it would have he could have registered a complaint. Um, he could have, you know, talked or used his interviews or social media to talk about bullying. Um, let a boycott of Chris Rock. I'm just reading out some of the ones that are here. Talk about and center black women and people with alopecia. So there are so many things he had the ability to do. They could have just got up and left. Wouldn't they that have, have been awkward when he won the Oscar and he wasn't there mm-hmm. to make his speech? Yeah. And the thing that's frustrating as a woman is like, not only did it not, it was, it just became not about Jada. I mean, even during the commercial break, you see Denzel and Tyler Perry going over and comforting Will. You know, they're, they're giving him advice. And so he's crying and it's all about him now. It's not about his wife anymore. It's about him and what he did. He also took away from everyone else who followed that night. There was Jessica Chastain, one best actress. You had people of color, Questlove winning um, for a beautiful documentary about the black experience. You had CODA, the deaf community, if you want to talk about ableism, um, winning an Oscar. All of that was overshadowed by Will's actions. And so I have seen a lot of women, including my sister on the thread, just talking about how frustrating that is that men always center themselves <laughs> and he made it about him with his actions and it just took away from everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so many different opportunities. And, and like you said, I, I think with, with, with him probably fairly certain that he would have had some time with the microphone, he could have easily dismantled Chris Rock. And then the next day, instead of there being articles about his assault of Chris Rock, there would be articles kind of grading Chris Rock on his performance. How good did um, Chris Rock do, uh, you know, in presenting this? And so um, it would have been very, very easy to come out on top in a way that also honored Jada, I think, and and other people who maybe struggle with similar things. And so it seems like, um, yeah, there was this, quick reaction and this grand opportunity was missed that actually could have done a lot of good, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For that matter, let's just say it was appropriate for him as a husband to say something. And I, I appreciate your argument about Jada can respond for herself. Um, if he'd have walked up exact same scenario, except he doesn't hit Chris, he just gets the mic and he says, Chris, I don't know if you know this and I don't know if the writers of the jokes for the show know this, but 
My wife has this medical condition, which is why she is bald. And I just want to say shout out to all the people who struggle with this. Mm -hmm. We see you and sit back down. Okay. Just like that. You haven't thrown Chris under the bus or the writers of the comedy for the show. You didn't say like he intended to do it. You just said, you said what you needed to say. And then the show can go on. And you look like a hero. I mean, he would have like, he defended his wife, but he did it in a passionate way, in a way that people could respect and look up to. And he didn't make Chris have to go like shame him for a bad joke. You can give him the benefit of the doubt and the show goes on. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I think I I have to acknowledge here just because I've been trying to read so many different viewpoints about this and, you know, we're three white people talking about this. This incident has so many intersections of gender and illness and celebrity. And we talked about there's there's that's why there's so much discussion. I think I have seen and I've been reading pieces that there's a whole other layer to this within the black community. Um, I think, you know, Part of the nuance of this is that Chris Rock had produced a movie called Good Hair, which is a documentary about black women's experiences with their hair, how tied it is to their identity, how prejudiced people are against them for their hairstyles, the pressure they feel to conform to white beauty standards. So I think part of the frustration with people criticizing Chris is like, you know better. If you happen to know, even if you didn't know she had alopecia, but whatever her hairstyle choices, you have made a whole movie about the sensitivity of black women and their hair. So like, again, the punching down, is that really a joke you need to make? You know better. The other part of it, though, is, you know, there's all these think pieces like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar put out one that I thought was pretty thoughtful. I have seen the black community wrestling with this because I've seen some um, commentators say like, you know, here we go. This is just perpetuating stereotypes about black males being violent. Um, You know, we have this stage where he could have been winning an award and we could be celebrating black people all night. And now it's like this criticism about black people and how they behave and all these old, ugly stereotypes. And then others have pushed back against that, saying, you know, we, we need to stop putting expectations that we have to behave nicely for white people. You know, so. I just want to acknowledge that as a white person, I don't fully understand that aspect of the debate. I'm just trying to read and learn. But I think it has to be acknowledged that that is another level that I know is being talked about within the black community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's uh, like you said, with two black men being involved, it just leaves lots of room for people to judge in multiple ways, not just two males, you know, having an altercation on stage, but now you add the layer of their black. And so what is the history behind that and the judgments that people, unfair judgments that people will make on, on that situation. And, um, I had also seen shared that there was, um, an instance back with John Wayne. Had you seen that? Oh yes. And, with the and Native so that American was, presenter. it's was a amazing woman. how every time an instance comes up, and people somehow try to make it about race, there are always receipts from (laughs) something far worse that was done by a white man. And so when I saw that where he had attempted to um, assault a Native American woman that was shedding light on on some mistreatment in the film industry, um, it was just like, yep, yet again. I mean, I didn't even have to count to 10 and there was already a receipt. They literally just, I mean, they literally had to hold John Wayne back at the Oscars from going and physically assaulting a Native American woman on stage. So yes, you're absolutely right. It's not by far the most ugly or violent thing that's ever happened at the Oscars. Well, and then just last week, I read a story about two white MMA fighters who ran across each other in a restaurant and got in a fight and one of them got hurt pretty badly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Nobody's talking about that in terms of, well, look of this, uh, this particular culture, et cetera, this must be indicative of something behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. It 
certain things get headlines when the reality is there's, there are realities about human nature, I think, that transcend um, the, the, the differences among us. And that's not to suggest there's not an importance to understanding the history of individual people. But I, I think sometimes, I think in logic, they call it the spotlight fallacy. When the spotlight shines on just one thing, it doesn't take long for, to turn the spotlight. And like your example, find John Wayne. Yep, find all these others. And I, I hope that lets us have a conversation that doesn't, um, isolate or, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's not just a conversation about black culture mm-hmm. It's the conversation about human culture. And there's mm-hmm. particular nuances to it, depending where people come from, but it, people are the, people are in some sense, the same. We're going to struggle with the same kind of issues. And while it might come from sort of different places and our histories might form us in different ways, uh, I think there's something everybody learns as we figure out these individual situations. Did, did that make sense at all? Yeah. Felt like yeah. I struggled to put the right. No, no, to totally. That. Well, there was one aspect of it I wanted to ask you guys about. It. I don't know. It's necessarily informed this particular incident, but it certainly like was one of the things that triggered me and brought it up for me. Is like, I think this is true of the culture in general because the culture is pretty patriarchal. But I think the church is very patriarchal, and I grew up in like hearing a lot of messaging from the church about sort of the man being the head of the household and the protector of the household and women sort of having a submissive role to men. And there you're probably going to, what's it wild at heart? Is that the book? The John Christ- Eldridge's book. Okay. Yep. So there's a guy, this guy within the Link Christian. In the show notes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. There's this guy within the Christian community. And this book just happened to be very popular at the time that I was in the church. And it really informed a lot of church culture, not all, but where I was this idea that like men are like warriors and they're called to be these like protectors and women are kind of like needing like damsels basically who are secretly always wanting like the prince to come rescue them. And it just like, for me, reinforced like really dumb, bad stereotypes about like what men and women's roles are. But part of that is like, I think when you, when you emphasize that, that women are somehow not able to defend themselves and need a man to protect them. And you're the man who's like in a protector role for me. Like, I don't think, I don't think it's bad to want to protect your loved ones, regardless of gender. (laughs) Certainly like we're all protective of our partners. I know you're both married. So like, you know, I know you would probably be protective of your wife if, if someone was making fun of her, giving her a hard time, especially about something like an illness. But how do you, I guess, how do you think about that? Like what is appropriate in terms of, protecting women in your life as men. Um, what kind of messaging have you heard or you think about in the church about that? And like, where is the line of like, how do you defend that while also respecting her own autonomy? To Taylor, this is all you. I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I know that's a lot there. However, however you want to respond to that is okay. Yeah. This is, um, this is really tough, but I, I do have, I guess, examples of kind of my growth throughout this. And so my wife and I started dating early in college. And if you had the same college experience that I had, there was ample opportunity to get in physical altercations <laughs> and you're, you're going out a lot. You're going to parties. Um, you have a cute girlfriend who is drawing attention from other men, and then you can decide whether you want to elevate that situation or not. Oftentimes I did. And, um, it was interesting to just finally get to the point where I realized like, Hey, I wasn't going out and and really wasn't in those um, places anymore. And so that was a lot less stressful, but understanding, Oh, so like physically standing up for my wife is not, um, 
as part of my daily life as what maybe I thought it was going to be because you're an adult, you start hanging out with other adults and determining how you're going to handle situations where maybe, um, an insult does come up. So that was, um, that was something that I think I kind of had to grow out of. And I'd actually been, um, presented with an opportunity in my newfound maturity since then. Um, where we were at a local brewery and this one didn't involve my wife, but it involved one of her friends. And so it was, uh, two couples, we were out at the brewery and the husband of, um, my wife's friend had gotten up cause we were leaving. And so he was walking out to hold the door open. And then my wife was following him and I was letting his wife, it's a lot of wives and husbands, <laughs> letting his wife go out ahead of me. And I was going to bring up, um, behind and I had seen two guys at the bar who were always at the brewery. They were just local guys. And I saw them completely turn and follow her butt with their eyes. Like just they they were um, had had too much to drink and they but they were very obvious about it. And they made some inappropriate comments to each other. And so I just went up to them and I just locked eyes with them. And I was like, because they knew me. I was also there, um, you know, at least every other week hanging out. And I just said to him, I don't ever want to hear you talk like that again. And the look of like shame and embarrassment. And I don't know if it was actually fear or not. There was two of them, one of me. But um, <laughs> I was thinking to myself in that instance, like, hey, I'm really glad that they were looking at this other girl's butt and not my wife's because I'm not sure what would have happened <laughs> um, then. But also, I'm very glad that it was not her husband that had been left behind and it was me instead. And so I think it was a, a lesson in how to kind of diffuse a situation like that. And I like to think that from the look of embarrassment on their face and, and their understanding of like, oh, wow, we were talking a lot louder than I thought we were, mm -hmm. um, that maybe they had learned something from it too. But just, I don't know. It was, it was one of those things where probably eight years ago, I would have tried to throw down over something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, you realize that there's not always a benefit to that type of behavior. I suspect too, Taylor, it wasn't that the ladies asked you to speak up for them and that they couldn't have said something themselves had they known it, but that you as an individual felt like if you didn't say something as a man to other men, that, that you needed to do that, not because the women were incapable of doing it themselves, but there was something about you being a person of integrity that you just, I, I don't know. Is, is that correct? Yeah, I think so. Because I truly was out of our group was the only one that saw that happen. And knowing the, the woman whose butt was stared at, she certainly would have, yeah. um, would have defended herself had she been aware of the situation. So yeah. Perhaps. And, I, and I just, I think maybe it's important to clarify. That's a good example of like, cause I think we've talked on the show before, maybe Anthony and I in the past, but you know, the sexualization and objectification of women and sort of both micro and macro aggressions that they go through all the time. And I have had experience with those. I definitely appreciate male friends or partners or whoever being willing to call out that behavior to other men and just sort of signal like it's not okay. And the women who are around me are going to be safe. Um, and so I appreciate that. I think to combat that culture, you need guys doing what you did and calling it out. Um, I just think that there's clearly a differential between, I think a lot of times it's very effective to just do what you did and just to address it and say, Hey, that's not okay. Or a joke about a woman is not okay. Don't talk about women that way. Instead of like having to go right into the physical violence, I think it's okay to be violent. If you are physically defending someone, you know, if like, 
there's a physical threat. You put hands on a woman, you know, or something like that, then that's different. But a lot of times, like, I just appreciate the ability for men to be around and signal to the men that that's not okay without having to then get into the scuffle violence, which oftentimes makes the situation much worse instead of making it better. Yeah. I think it makes an ass out of everybody that's involved. Whereas when I left that scenario, they were the only asses in the situation. Well, no pun intended because they were yeah. staring at a woman's butt. <laughs> um, but right. Yeah. They, yeah. they felt very stupid. Yeah. And um, had it, I think, had I tried to escalate that there, then I was running the risk of all of us looking incredibly stupid and maybe all of us um, being escorted out, you know? What do you think? I mean, you probably have heard some of that messaging in the church. Like, I oh, guess, sure. what do you think about that idea of like men's protector role for women? Yeah. So I, I grew up in a very conservative and traditional culture when it came to that. And so pretty much everybody I grew up with <clears throat> kind of just assumed that was the way the world worked. And for many that was okay and good. And they embrace, okay. Any, any type of scenario you have when there's power dynamics are only going to be as good as the quality of the people involved. Right? So this is probably true of any situation, people with personal integrity and maturity where they genuinely cared for others and loved each other and sought to honor others, um, they tended to have really good relationships. But of course, that's not the way the world works a lot of the time. So there were some really terrible things that happened as well. Um, Sheila and I, for those who don't know, Sheila's my wife. When, when we got married, we would very much have gone into the marriage with me as the role of the protector, but also understand... I'm really extroverted. I'm a fairly big guy. Um, Sheila is small as she is introverted and um, doesn't like to have the spotlight on her, things like that. So there was often situations where I was just kind of the default. I was the one who took care of her as she wanted to be taken care of. Sure. Um, as our marriage has unfolded, though, we had to address some, some real imbalances in that kind of thing. Like, for example, I had to... I had to see clearly I was overwhelming her with my voice and dismissing her voice. Uh, that was a huge problem. I had assumptions about myself and the role she wanted me to play that just wasn't always true. And that worked both ways with us. And we've been talking about this some recently, like when we look at roles in our house now, we, um, we both do everything. Um, except for the things where like she does all of our books because she's really good with numbers. Okay, I'm not going to do that. That's just going to make life miserable for all of us. Um, she does a lot of the things that are associated with um, housework, like cooking and things, but she enjoys that for the most part. She grew up enjoying that. Um, I've been trying to help some, um, <laughs> but that doesn't always go well, right? So, so part of, we've been married almost 32 years now. Part of that has been us kind of walking through what are the messages we absorbed about what real men do and what real women do? Who stands up for who? It takes, I mean, there's a sense in which I always thought of, I'm here to protect my wife. But frankly, with my wife being a pastor's wife now, uh, she steps in and protects me sometimes. Yeah. Like sure. mama bear comes out. <laughs> and uh, that would not have characterized Sheila when we first got married. Mm. Um, and so we have found that we have tempered each other a lot in our understanding of what that kind of thing means. And it's interesting as my boys grow up and get married, like, uh, my oldest son is the cook in his family, mm. which like in the, in the community I grew up in 
would never have happened. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> That's right? so interesting. Um, and his wife is very comfortable with that. And she grew up in a really conservative home. Mm. Um, so I, I feel like there's some shifting going on. And I think part of it, Beth, is a reaction to um, the wild at heart phenomenon. So, and I hope I don't over talk on this, but I did not care for wild at heart. Mm-hmm. I remember reading it and thinking, well, I'm not a man mm. because here I was. And, and this, I should note, um, I have been told by people who know Eldridge that he was bothered by how men took what he wrote to be this Uber, you know, John Wayne, you got to um, hunt and do yeah, yeah, hunt and yeah. climb mountains to be a man. <laughs> that is my understanding is that is not what he intended. Mm. And it bothered him that people went there with it. And when he speaks about it, he makes that clear. Mm. But I would just say in the group I was in at that time, when the book came out, which was up here in Traverse city, that is very much how it was read. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time thinking, here I am. I'm an English major. I like to read and write. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't hunt. I don't have anything against it. I just don't. I have only, I'm only three years into fishing. I've never climbed a mountain and I have zero desire to climb a mountain. I like to lift heavy things off the ground. That's about as manly as I get. <laughs> and, and realizing when I read that book, like I do not fit into this book. Mm. And then I was talking with another friend of mine who was one of the best men that I know, just gentle and kind and soft-spoken. And, and he was undone by that book. He's like, I just must be a terrible man. I'm like, mm. okay, no, um, you are one of the best people I know you didn't fit a template. And so I've thought about that a lot since then. And, and Sheila and I have, have noted when we, when we were first married, we would read books on marriage and they were typically very stereotypical. Men are like this. Women are like this. And we'd read it and put it down and go, let's just switch chapters. Because for the most part, like I was the talker and Sheila was the quiet one. I expressed emotions as Sheila did. Sheila did all the little fix up chores around the house. She enjoyed it. They drove me nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like with kids, she was more authoritarian and I was more gentle, so to speak. So we would walk away from those conferences really struggling with, like we'd be a men's group and women group and and the men and women would be talking about, oh yeah, this is what everybody does. And we'd, we'd feel like fish out of water. <laughs> and so maybe it's just odd, but for most of my adult life, I have had opportunity to be challenged by what those kinds of things mean. Now with my example to Taylor, sorry, and then I'll, I'll hand off the talking stick to somebody else. <laughs> I feel like I need to be protective of people around me. This could be men and women who are vulnerable or uh, I want to say this carefully, vulnerable or weaker than I am. I'm a 240 pound guy. I'm pretty strong. I'm in the position to protect physically weaker people, right? And that could be men or women. I am really good with words. I am in a position to protect people verbally around me who don't know how to express themselves. So this isn't unique to women, mm-hmm. um, but I, I look for the vulnerable around me in particular situations and go, okay, how can I help? There are plenty of cases where uh, <laughs> the CrossFit gym that I went to, uh, the lady who ran it, she went to the games in California for several years. She kicked my butt day after day in the gym. All right, she's doing good, right? Uh, I have... Plenty of male and female friends who, if you say something to them verbally, they are going to blister you with their words. I'm just going to sit back and eat my popcorn <laughs> and watch it unfold, right? So th- this is more of just a general thing. Yeah. If I have strengths, I believe I am called to use them in the aid of those around me who are in positions 
where um, they are not able to defend or speak up for themselves like they should be able to. And I, I tell my boys this, this is my last thing. I've told all my boys, if you get one thing right in life, I want you to be safe for women. And my thought for this is, and I, I tell them, I think everything else will fall into place. Um, if I say just be safe for other men, that leaves the door wide open for them to not be safe for women. But if I say be a safe space for women, don't that they need to be able to relax around you. They, I don't want them to worry about your eyes. I don't want them to worry about your words. I don't want them to worry about your physical actions. I want you to be safe. I think everything else from a guy's perspective, at least what I'm telling my sons, life falls into place. You learn how to guard your words, how to guard your eyes, how to guard your heart, your actions, um, how to exercise self-restraint and self-control. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've been blessed to watch. Um, I'll just give you this example. My youngest son, last, last Christmas, he got a, a coffee container from a couple girls in his class, like a big thermos with their pictures on it, a little message. He got his Christmas present from a couple girls. And uh, one of the other guys in his class, Vince opened it up. And this one guy was like, Oh, Vince, you're a player. And I'm like, yeah, he's not a player. And that's why he got that coffee cup mm-hmm. from those girls. And you mm-hmm. didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of the idea. Once again, not that women can't protect themselves, but for, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm going to stick my foot in my mouth here if I'm not careful. Not that other people around me, not just women, can't protect themselves, but there's something in me that I feel like I have a responsibility to keep an eye out for everybody around me in any situation. Yeah. I, I don't, is that, does, would you agree with that, Beth, or does that still push some buttons like Anthony's still? No, 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 yeah, not at okay. all. Um, I, Cause I, I agree. And actually, I mean, this is why I think gender tropes don't always apply because I am a very hot blooded, feisty Irish right. person. I have never, Beth, I have never <laughs> felt the need to step into a Facebook thread and speak for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I feel that way. I feel very, I'm very loyal to the people in my life. Yeah. I'm very protective and I have a special protectiveness towards vulnerable people. It's part of the reason I'm a journalist as I want to be a voice for the voiceless and to try to address injustices. Um, and I am the same way as you are. I'm not as physically strong by any stretch of the imagination. I have zero upper body strength. Um, <laughs> I'm very sharp verbally. Um, and I'm not afraid to be physical if I have yep. to, even if I will lose. Um, because, but I, like I said, I grew up so, um, with so much violence and mine was just ego driven. It was all about protecting me mm. or scrapping for me or someone steps to me. And I feel like they insulted me. So now I got to defend my reputation, mm. you know, and just, it was all this sort of blustering and usually just all about protecting myself. And I think as an adult, I've tried to learn to channel that. Like, I think everything that you have, that's a strength also has like a flip side of the coin. That's your weakness. Yep. So having a protective instinct, um, I think is healthier when it's channeled outwards towards other people, instead of just protecting your own ego. Anytime you're acting out of anger, that is anger about protecting yourself. You're probably going to make a bad decision. Um, I think when you protect other people, it's usually better. And that's the thing about Will and that situation. I don't, again, I don't think any of us agree or, or disagree that he was okay to protect his wife or defend his wife. It's just the extremity of his actions. And they were so fast that it felt to me a little bit, um, again, like he lost his temper and it was a little bit of his ego. You mentioned his history with Jada and how he was looking in that moment. Like felt performative, performative. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I totally 
love and respect people who protect the people around them. I just think you need to do it for the right reasons. It cannot be about your own ego um, or your own anger. And it needs to be proportionate. You know, a lot of times I have no problem calling out guys in bars or being like, don't talk to my friend or you're a weirdo, <laughs> like whatever. Like if I have to do those things, I will protect those things and myself if I need it. I appreciate when people do that for me. But what I think Will did was center himself in that situation right. instead of Jada with the way he handled yeah. it. Yeah. My mind's going a couple to a couple different things and both kind of both of what both of you had mentioned, I think it, the word that comes to mind is discernment. So trying mm -hmm. to figure out what is appropriate, when is it appropriate, when is this action needed? If you're you're physically able to protect others, that doesn't mean that you just run into every little situation and start to, to flex your muscle. Um, and so you have to determine what is needed in this moment. And I think that that's really difficult to do. And that was something that Will was lacking is he didn't have mm -hmm. the discernment to see what was truly needed in the moment. Maybe his action uh, resulted in him feeling a little bit better for, for a second. But I think once it all started to settle in, he was like, yeah, that, that wasn't the, the best approach. And so how, how can we discern in such a way that our response to a situation will still feel comfortable with the decision we made days down the line? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that would be the goal for myself is like to determine, Hey, if you, if you respond in this way, you need to feel comfortable with it in the future. And that's not to, it's not to mean that we're always going to respond perfectly. Um, but I think discernment is important when you have, you have tools at your disposal. That's to respond verbally. That's to, um, maybe and sometimes counsel, uh, someone or to respond physically like Will did. And it's crazy. These uh, examples that come to mind, but I was leaving, uh, Blaine's farm and fleet where we, they have some great chickens there. We'll talk about in a later episode. Sponsor plug. Yeah. No, they're not. And, um, <laughs> I was walking to my vehicle and I heard this really harsh male voice that just said, get your F and A in the car. And there was, uh, his wife or, uh, partner there. And I was like, oh boy, I'm going to walk very slowly because I don't want this to escalate. And I, I was asking myself, well, what would Will Smith do here in this situation? No. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I'm walking slowly and I'm trying to see if it's going to escalate. Cause it was a very harsh, mean tone. Mm -hmm. And then I kept looking and I was like, Oh, wow. He was talking to the dog in the back seat that had been trying to get out as he was loading <laughs> stuff into the vehicle. And so it's, it's just crazy how life presents you with these opportunities. And we all have opportunities to act um, against injustice. And it's like threading a needle, trying to figure out, is it proportional um, and, and what's needed? And then kind of the last thing I want to say is because we were talking about uh, gender stereotypes a little bit. And um, I'm thinking in in my life that um, if I am some type of a, of a well-rounded man, that the most valuable lessons I've learned from other uh, male figures in my life, they're, they're lessons that have come from um, things that they practice that are not necessarily always attributed to their gender. I get a, a deep sensitivity and I act and feel very deeply about a lot of things. And I think I get that from my dad. I've seen my dad cry more than I've seen my mom cry. Mm -hmm. And I, I make jokes all the time. Like my dad will shed a tear when the wind changes direction. Um, <laughs> and, and I am in a lot of ways very similar to that. And um, so I'm really thankful for, I think, the males in my life that don't fit the traditional mold. Like they've shown me um, that that you can, it's okay to act this way um, as a man. And, and I, it's led me to kind of question, why do we, when a girl is strong, why do we say you're strong for a girl? Why are they not just strong? Mm -hmm. uh, when we, when, when a man is sensitive, why do we have to say, man, you're really like, you're sensitive for a dude. Why? Right. It's, a, it's a person. <laughs> and, and so for me, if I, 
if I like to hunt, if I like to climb mountains, if I like to, um, go out shirtless and chop wood, is that because I'm a man or is that just because it's an activity that I like to do? And mm-hmm. I don't know why or we because- have to. <laughs> Never mind. Because <laughs> I look good without a shirt on. <laughs> but, but we, I think we have this kind of obsession still with um, attributing things people like to do to their specific uh, gender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then maybe like as a final thing here, because I'm sure we're wrapping up, but um, I was going to kind of just ask what we thought. Uh, what you all thought about, like, what would be appropriate from, like, what's going to happen next? Like, how is the situation with Will and Chris get resolved or what would be the just outcome of it? And as you were talking, Taylor, and what I was thinking is that, you know, discernment is such a great, that's such a great point to make. And I think discernment is something many, many people, it's a muscle that you really have to, to exercise, to develop, um, you know, when we're talking about situations and appropriate responses, I think you have to look at what is the outcome of the situation that you want. So I think we can all say fairly confidently that this is not the outcome that Will Smith wanted because, you know, he's now facing expulsion from the Academy. He, he has apologized. He's made it clear that he regrets his actions. So he has remorse about the way he handled it. And now there's this huge debate and it's probably going to be something that follows his career, you know, for, for quite a long time. Um, so in that situation, we talked about ways he could have addressed that and defended Jada and look like a hero and done it with class. And, and so when you are intervening on other people's behalf, what is it that you're looking to accomplish? You know, a lot of times, just like what you did at the bar with the guys who were staring at your friend, just, you know, addressing it and bringing it up and being calm, but like, do not do that, or that is not okay, or that is disrespectful or whatever. Oftentimes that's the appropriate action because it, it accomplishes what you want. You haven't let the behavior go unaddressed. You have defend defended your friend or loved one, and you've probably made those guys feel ashamed or embarrassed. And maybe they'll think twice about it next time. Those are all the outcomes you want. If you just took a swing at that guy, uh, you look like an ass, (laughs) like you mentioned, now you're the villain. Um, you have not made them think anything about their actions. They're just going to think, Oh, that guy was a jerk. They'll never think twice because shame is a very effective modifier, but anger or defensiveness doesn't help you learn. I think emotionally, Um, and then you've also potentially escalated a situation that could have put your friend at either further risk. You know, if you elevate things physically, you can have fights break out. Now the people you're trying to defend might have to physically defend themselves. So I just think all of, for all of those reasons, a lot of times starting at a lower level, um, it can be just much more effective in getting all of these outcomes to be beneficial for everyone involved, including the people that you think are in the wrong to maybe correct their behavior. I just don't see rarely if ever where violence helps accomplish any of those goals. So that's, that's, (laughs) I guess we'll get the final word. (laughs) Okay. So that'll be the final word. Don't be violent uh, unless it's absolutely necessary. And we'll see, we'll see what happens with Will Smith. I, I think the other thing I think as a, you know, other final message is even when you apologize and show remorse, I think this is the other takeaway is that, um, acting in the heat of the moment and anger can often have long-term ramifications beyond your remorse or apology. He did something that affected, you know, millions of people who saw it, affected Chris, affected his wife. And so I think it's great if he sincerely means that apology and he learns from it as a man and as a husband. I also think it's completely appropriate if he's expelled from the academy because you have to learn that anger has consequences. I think something significant has to happen or the next person's going to get up and do what they want and then go, sorry. Yeah, it it has to have 
something that matters as, in a response. To, do, as, to act as a deterrent, not yep. just for him, but right, for right. other people. So, well, that was a really good conversation. Thank you guys all for tuning in and we will see you on the next episode. Bye.